Thank you for listening to audio from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. We hope it blesses you in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are not a current member of Glen Meadows, we encourage you to visit one of our services, Sundays at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. You may be seated and open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus, and we will be there. And as you know, we've been studying the Ten Commandments, and we are on the Fourth Commandment. And after baptism, I'm putting my watch on, and you know what this watch means? Absolutely nothing. Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) Just teasing. So we're in the fourth commandment, and the commandments that the Lord gives us are impeccable. They are pure. When uh, this morning I got in my truck and I opened my glove box and I looked at my manual for my truck, the 2011 Tacoma. And as I was looking at the manual, I was looking at the maintenance section. And at the beginning of the maintenance section, it says something like this. It says, this maintenance schedule is for your benefit. This keeps the truck running economically, efficiently, and a long time. That's what it said. A little bit more flowery words than that. But basically, it said, you need to follow this. And if you follow this, this will do you well. You, in fact, if you have a vehicle, you probably have an owner's manual, and it says the same similar type of language, that you need to take care of this car. You need to follow the owner's manual. And what you have in front of you right here is an owner's manual to your body and to your soul. And as we look at the commandments, it is for your good and for my good, for efficiency, uh, for a long life and a long eternity. And when you look at the first commandment, we see very clearly that we are to uh, worship God and worship Him only. The second commandment, we are to have no other gods but Yahweh God. Number three, we are to honor Him, respect Him, and be careful how we use His name. And we talked about that last week. And then we get to the fourth commandment, and it is an incredible invitation of a positive commandment for you and for me to draw near to God. That's what it's telling us to do. And so, if you will, imagine that you have the children of Israel who have come out of Egypt in a miraculous way. Remember the death angel, the Passover, the cloud by day, the fire by night, coming to the Red Sea and the Red Sea's parts. And there were times where there was no water except bitter water. And Moses prays over the water and it turns to fresh water. So miraculous events as well as miraculous judgments that were taking place. And then they come to Mount Sinai. And they're like, hey, we're afraid of God. Moses, you go talk to God. So Moses goes up the hill, and you know the scene. You've got the burning bush. You've got God who's speaking, thunder, lightning. And God gives Moses, God writes with his own finger, the Ten Commandments on the tablets. Moses brings them back down. And as he's reading them to them, it's God, only worship him, have no other gods, and watch your mouth, and then it says this, and then take a break, take a rest. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. It's like they're hearing all of these decrees from a holy God, and he says, listen, there's something you need to do, and that is you need to take a break. It's for us. The Sabbath is for us. And so in this study, in fact, it is incredibly extensive, we will only scratch the surface on this, unfortunately, and I would encourage you 
to study what the Sabbath is, what it's all about, what it all means, and it'll, it'll uh, bless your heart immensely as you do that. But he says in, in this passage, verse 8, Exodus chapter 20, remember to dedicate the Sabbath day. You are to labor six days and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your sons, your daughters, your male, your female slaves, your livestock, or the foreigner who is within your gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested. He stopped. He ceased. On the seventh day, the Sabbat, which means stop, Sabbat, seventh to stop on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So there are two things we are to do. We are to stop and rest, and we are to keep it holy. And in this, we learn that the Sabbath, it's the longest commandment of all of the ten. Isn't that interesting? Usually when you're looking at an emphasis that the Lord gives, and there's many of these. You see God taking up a lot of territory in the Bible to explain something. It has a lot of geography, if you will. And the, this commandment of the Sabbath is the longest of all of them. Uh, it's, it's mentioned more times than any of the other commandments, the Sabbath. Um, it's mentioned 11 times in the first five books and over 100 times in the rest of the Old Testament. Sabbath is the, only other, is the only day other than the Day of Atonement where work is prohibited. And it is the only one of the ten which the Lord clearly has given to the nation of Israel before they even reached Mount Sinai. So before the Ten Commandments were even given, He said, I want you to rest on the seventh day. In fact, that's why He says, remember the Sabbath. Not like I'm bringing a new command, but I want you to remember it and all that is entailed with this. So he speaks out uh, about this Sabbath. And of course, most of us are thinking when we hear Sabbath, we think of maybe uh, days gone by. Remember when there was a lot of restriction on the Sabbath? Maybe, maybe you were raised where you weren't allowed to, to do a lot on the Sabbath. You were to stay at home. You couldn't go to movies. You definitely couldn't play cards on the Sabbath, right? In, in fact, it, was, it wasn't hard because there was a time where blue laws were very extensive, right? To where you could only buy certain things at the store. In fact, even today, you, you can't buy a car uh, from, from a car lot on Sunday, right? There's certain blue laws, and our nation, having a Judeo-Christian background, had these laws in place. And so many of us, as you came this morning and you said, oh no, the preacher's preaching on the Sabbath and I haven't been going to church a lot. I'm in trouble now. Um, I've been working on the Sabbath. I'm really going to be in trouble now. I mean, what, what can you do on the Sabbath? And what can't you do on the Sabbath? But by the way, what is Sabbath anyway? What in the world does it really, really mean? Well, let's, let's look at the Old Testament. Let's look at how they observed it. And they observed it very, very clearly. Um, you know, somebody the other day, it was uh, two Sundays ago, came up to me and they said, Hey, Brother Mac, when is your Sabbath? Because, you know, I'm usually really busy on Sundays, right? And when you work one day a week, you really ought to show up on that one day, right? <laughs> Had this honorary church member that called and tried to call me all day Friday. And I didn't answer. And 
then they get, then they saw me at church and they said, I called you Friday and you didn't answer. And I said, well, Friday's my day off. And they said, well, the devil never takes a day off. And I said, well, that's true. So if I didn't take a day off, then I'd be just like the devil, right? <laughs> and God is telling you, the owner's manual is telling you, take a day off. You ever studied uh, this famous sandwich place that makes chicken sandwiches? Remember study them? Chick-fil-A? Why don't you go to the mall and try to go to Chick-fil-A today? You can't. You can't. Did you, I remember uh, listening to uh, Truett Cathy speak. That's the owner and the founder of Chick-fil-A. And he's speaking at Crystal Bible College way back in the day. And I remember him standing up and saying this. He said, guys, I don't make, I don't know if he would still say this today, so I'm not saying anything disparaging. But here's what he said. He said, I don't think I make the best chicken sandwich in the world but I make it the same way every single time. Faithfulness means something. And my faithfulness to the Lord is exhibited by the way in which I don't open on Sunday. And he went to describe what his accountants tell him about his employees, his equipment, his store, because they let everything rest one day a week and how it turns into an advantage the, 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 the rate of return for him is higher than any other store. In fact, they're very, very successful because of this, because of rest, rest. Now, we are the only country in the world where we brag about being workaholics. Do you notice that? Man, I work so hard, I haven't taken a vacation in four years. And you're like, wow, you're awesome. Well, it'll catch up with you. It really will. You and I are to rest, and that's exactly what this means. In fact, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Listen to this. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested. In other words, he created and worked, and he, he did all of his creation day one, day two, day three, day four, and he was developing, and he was creating, and he was speaking into existence. Day five. And then day six, he created men, man, and on day seven, he stopped and he rested. And that's all it means. He rested. And so we, from this, we realize that the whole world is measured in seven days. You know, the, the, uh, the way the earth turns, the years are marked by the earth's rotation around the sun. Months are determined by the relationship to the moon. Days are, in fact, measured by the earth's rotation on its axis. But weeks, it's interesting. No real reason other than God said there'll be seven days and then you'll rest on that seventh day. That's how weeks came about. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, remember. In other words, remember how it came about. God working and God resting. And, and we learn a lot from that and all that God has for us and all of his blessing and all of his glory because of that. It's just like the creation story. We also see this manifested throughout Israel's life, if you remember. Israel comes into the wilderness period, and God is having them move, but on the Sabbath they rested. They went to the tabernacle. They did their sabbatical uh, worship and remembering. There was a time where there was no food, and they prayed, and then there was this stuff called, what is it, that came out of the sky, manna, remember that? It was, this, it was this fluffy stuff, and so they would gather it six days, but they wouldn't gather it on the seventh. If they gathered it on the seventh, it would spoil, but they would have enough on the sixth that would take them from the seventh. And so it was this white, snow-like, doughy stuff. 
and, it, and they could put it together and, and it had kind of a honey wafer flavor as if it started raining Krispy Kreme donuts every day, you know? That sounds, that sounds really, really good right now, actually. And that's what they did. But the issue is to do nothing. Let me, let me make this statement. We as people are not good at doing nothing. We try to fill our nothingness with somethingness and usually we get in trouble because we don't really take time to evaluate the priorities of life. The Bible always says, not necessarily on the Sabbath, but it does say, stop and think. And one of the best times to stop and think is in a Sabbath rest. We'll get into that in just a second. But another thing we're to do, not only to remember, but we are to celebrate God's mercy. The parallel passage to Exodus chapter 20 is in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And in this passage, it says it this way. It's, it's this list of the commandments, and Moses says it this way. God says it this way. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is interesting. And keeping it holy definitely means stopping and staying away from rest, but it is very, very redemptive. It's recognizing the very mercy of God. In fact, the flow of Scripture is saying, you Israel, you individual, has, you have been in bondage, and I want you to take a Sabbath to recognize that I am giving you rest. It's as if it's a timeout, it's a break, so that you and I would just rest from slavery. Now, there's all kinds of applications for this. And you see these applications spilling out throughout the rest of Scripture. And that we are those that have broken God's laws. We are the ones under a tyrant master, the flesh and the enemy and the world. And God is saying, I want to interrupt this. I want to change this. I want to deliver you out of bondage, and I want you to experience my mercy and my rest, and that's what a Sabbath is about. Keeping it holy, keeping it set apart, keeping it purposeful, God says, I will restore you. And that's what He did to Israel. He restored them to great levels. But oftentimes, we take what God did and we turn it around, even though you can even say that the Sabbath was a mark on his people to demonstrate a covenant. The Sabbath was God's covenant. It was, it was an example. It was an outward working. The elaborate temple was designed for Sabbath worship. Sabbath is a sign of the covenant, just as the rainbow is a sign of God's covenant with Noah. What did the sign symbolize? Uh, that you could trust God. Listen, you can trust God to provide for you without working seven full days. You can rest. But sabbatical laws, all the laws surrendering, surrounding the Sabbath, were more than just Saturday. You, you know that Sabbath is, a, is Saturday, right? That, that's the seventh day, not today. So you guys are already breaking the Sabbath already. So. You, really, you know that. I hope you know that. that. That's really important to know. This today is the first day of the week, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But what happened is Israel, out of, out of all the laws that Israel broke, 
And the reason Israel was judged and taken into exile was because of breaking Sabbaths. In fact, 70 years in captivity actually matches how many years they missed in obeying uh, the Sabbath years and Sabbath days. And so they get out of Assyria and Babylon, they come back to the land of Israel, and they came up, now this is secular history that tells us this, they came up with 39 laws of things you must do and cannot do to keep the Sabbath. And then these 39 laws turned into over 24 chapters of things you can do and cannot do. In fact, I, if you go to Israel, it's interesting when you go in a hotel, you'll go to the elevators, and they have Sabbath elevators, and they have regular elevators. And Sabbath elevators, they will work on the Sabbath, which is Saturday, but when you go on the elevator, you go inside, you turn around, and your worst nightmare has just happened. All the buttons have been pushed. All of the buttons. And the reason why is so that you don't have to take any effort, work, to push a button. And it'll stop at every floor. And if you're on the 14th floor, it's going to take you a while to get there. But think about that. They designed elevators to have all the buttons pushed so that you wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath by pushing a button. My nephew, Joel Patrick, he uh, <clears throat> graduated from Criswell College. He moves to England to go to school. And he's walking down the street. It's on a freezing day. He said it was just cold and he was walking to work. He was all bundled up, you know, got his head on, his head on, got his hood on. Uh, most of the time he had his head on. <clears throat> so he's walking down and it's just freezing. And this man ran out of his apartment and ran to him and said, sir, can you help me? And he says, sure. He says, my, uh, my family and my kids were in the house and it's freezing. Can you come turn, turn on my heater? And he said, no, I cannot do that. And he was thinking, this guy's a wacko. <laughs> He's trying to get me in his house. He's going to mug me. And finally, the guy convinced him he was obeying sabbatical laws. And so my nephew goes inside the house. And sure enough, the wife and the kids are bundled up in a blanket over in a corner in a chair or a couch. And the man says, here's the thermostat. Would you push the heater on? And he goes, Thank you. Can you believe that? Sabbatical laws. What has man done to sabbatical laws. Well, let's see what Jesus says when he steps into the scene of this kind of crazy idea of sabbatical laws. Jesus in Mark chapter 2 verse 27, Mark chapter 2 verse 27. This was the issue where Jesus was walking with his 12 disciples and they were going through a wheat field and they'd take the kernels of wheat and they would roll them and they would just, you know, have some granola as they're walking down. And the Pharisees and Sadducees screamed foul. And they were saying, you can't work on the Sabbath. That's working and you can't do that. And Jesus said this. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now that is an earth-shaking statement. We know the Gospels go to great lengths showing that Jesus obeyed all the laws of Moses. Jesus was very obedient, but these man-made laws of intensifying the Sabbath, Jesus says, I don't have time for that. That is ridiculous. You are pulling people's eyes away from God and putting them on man. If you think man was made for the Sabbath, and then he makes that declaration. Man's not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, man is to enjoy by memoring and keeping it holy. The Sabbath is for you. That's what he said. So Jesus approved his disciples being hungry and picking the heads of grain. Um, there was nothing in the, in the original commandment of the Sabbath that he broke. 
Then we see in Mark chapter 3, verse 4. And there you had a man who was, who was very ill, very sick, and he heals the man. And the Pharisees and Sadducees says, you can't heal on the Sabbath. It's against the law. And Jesus said to them in Mark 3, 4, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil, to save life or to kill? But they were silent because Jesus was smarter than them. That's why. This is very clear. Same thing in Luke chapter 13, verse 15 through 16. A, a, an incredible situation. And Jesus heals another man, and they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. And he says, no, you're the hypocrite. You're the ones who are living lasciviousness. Doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath and lead them to the water? Satan has bound this woman. This is a woman who was healed, and it was, she had infirmities because of a demon. A daughter of Abraham for 18 years. Shouldn't she be united and untied from this bondage on the Sabbath? So Jesus clearly gives us a different definition of what Sabbath is all about. It is for man. Luke chapter 13, it's the very same thing. And he goes on. To be sure, Jesus did not hesitate. Jesus did not hesitate to peel away some of the gross, exaggerated laws that were weighing down people on the Sabbath. More importantly, he reintroduced the Sabbath as a day for doing good, not just for doing our religious duties, but the gospel writers are very clear in making sure that we know what Jesus said about the Sabbath because he obeyed every part of it. Now, let me, let me make it clear. The Sabbath is not written there so that we could develop lazy habits. I don't know any lazy people. I'm sure you don't either. I heard about one boy. He was lazy. He got up. He said, man, I do exercises. Well, that doesn't look like you do. You don't act like you do. He said, yeah, I get up. He said, I wake up. And next thing you knew, I do up, down, up, down, up, down. And then I do my next, my left eyelid. I go up, down, up, down, up, down. Some of you might be able to relate to that. Do you know that workers in America admit, this is just clear across the board, workers in America admit of wasting 20% of their time every single day. You add that 20% and you have a whole day, right, in a work week. The Japanese made fun of Americans about 15 years ago, saying Americans only have a three-day work week. Because on Friday, they're so excited about the weekend and that they can't get any work done, and then they have so much fun on the weekend that they have a hard time getting back to work on Monday, so they really only have a three-day work week. Now, the Bible makes it clear, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. But here's what happens in our society, is we don't always work when we're supposed to work, and when we rest, we don't always rest, because we try to work and make up for what we do. If you plan your work and you work your plan, then things usually work out well for you. But we don't only have one day off, we have usually, in most situations, two days off. But since we value recreation more than anything else, it unhinges, it, it begins to handicap when we do work, and it literally takes away from when we do rest. And so what God is saying here is, I am God and I desire to be worshiped. And the way you spend your time says everything about who you worship, and what you value most. Now, we know very clearly that Jesus, after his resurrection, there was a new day. And not that the principles of Sabbath has gone away, but literally 
the legalism of sabbatical laws have been clearly done away with to the greatest extent. In fact, some have come to me and they said, look, you know, I can't believe you don't worship and you don't uh, do these things on Saturday because that's really the Sabbath. And I'll say, oh, yeah, you're a Sabbatarian. You, you obey all the Sabbath laws. Yes, I do. Uh, do you take one year off out of seven? And on the 50th year, do you have a jubilee? Do you follow all? Do you go to the tabernacle? Do you? Do you? Are you involved in all the ceremonial laws? Are you? So here's what happened. When Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, everything changed. Everything changed. One famous scholar said it this way. He said, Jesus took the Sabbath, put it on the cross, put it in the grave, and then he rose again on the first day of the week, and that is the day that we worship. Say, Brother Mac, where are you getting that from? It's very clear. It's all the way through the Scripture. In the book of Acts, on the first day of the week, they met for worship. It says it over and over and over. And then it says, in the book of Romans, it says, uh, one person considers one day to, to be above another. Someone else considers every day to be the same. Each one must be fully convinced in his own mind, whoever observes the day observes it for the honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord. And he's saying this, he said, look, you may have a conviction in your heart that it's best to worship uh, by, by fasting or it's best to worship by feasting. And these are incredible principles in the scripture of how you worship God. Some may say, you know what, I really want to spend all day Sunday and doing nothing. Others may say, I, want, I really feel led, I need to do this on, on Friday and just spend a time, a section of time to where I stop and I rest and I marinate in scripture and I give my soul rest then do it. But don't say you're doing it because, the, because God commands you to do it on a specific day because that's not necessarily the truth. Now we are to get together for worship on the first day of the week. We are. Hebrews says, do not forsake yourselves from gathering together. Do not forsake that. But is this when we really Sabbath? Is this when we really take the rest? Is this when you and I really stop and consider God our provider. Let me give you some general fundamentals and how to add this into your life. You know what I found? I found that there is a lot more, uh, more writing in the last 15, 20 years on sabbatical rest than probably all put together. I found that interesting. There's a lot of writings considering uh, you know, what Sabbath is, Saturday or Sunday, the, the, the Lord's Day, or, or the Sabbath of the Old Testament. But actually what I found out is how to do Sabbath, how to do rest, is, is more of a popular view, modern view of spiritual formation. And it really breeds from, it comes from the, the hectic lifestyles that you and I lead, of the hours and hours of our, of our nose in a screen, the demanding of time. And even though uh, we, can, we, can, we can do laundry faster, I can cook faster, I can, I can have someone else change my oil for me, even though there's all these conveniences like microwaves, it seems like we still spend more time frustrated on that gerbil wheel that goes nowhere. And I think if you're like me, we all are gasping for air sometimes, just trying to get a break. And so there's more writing about all that it means to stop and to rest and to give your soul uh, a reboot, to be free from slavery that the world wants to give. And this is when you purposefully stop and focus and rest and the Lord reboots your soul. 
What can you do in a Sabbath rest? You can fast. You can, you, you can just say, look, I'm going to shut down my flesh, and I'm going to say no to my stomach, and I'm going to focus on the Lord. You might just get some friends together and go for a walk and not talk about any work, not talk about any problems. Just talk about the Lord. Just rest. You may just sit down with a good book that's challenging to the soul, not to know how many pages you turn, but just to rest. Maybe you spend the whole day just on one page of, of, of maybe an author that really takes the Word of God and applies it to your soul. Let me ask you this, not, not to bring guilt, but just to ask this question. How do you do Sabbath? How do you do rest? We're not able to get, we don't have time, we're not able to get to one of the most important chapters on the Sabbath, and that is Hebrews chapter 4, talking about the spiritual Sabbath rest that's found in Jesus. It's not a day, according to Romans 4, Hebrews 4, it is an identity of being in Christ. And that's what He has for you and for me. See, it all comes down to who is first in your life? What is your priorities in life? And I find that when I take a Sabbath or when I, I set aside this time, and I don't just mean 20 minutes. If that's where you need to start, then that's fine. But I think you need to work up to where you're spending a couple hours, if not a whole day. In, I mean, think about it. That's what it originally was, a whole day of friends and feasting, um, maybe, maybe fasting if you choose that. Maybe, maybe if you choose Sunday, the, day, the Lord's Day, when we come together and we study, maybe on that day that you spend the rest of the day just really marinating and meditating on the things that are most important. And, and by all means, if you feel the need, take a really good nap. Sabbath is made for man, right? Ceasing from working. Now, some of you, I know people who are working today, People who are in hospitals are working today. Policemen are working today. People that work at restaurants, some people have no choice to work on the Lord's Day. I get it. I understand. Do I think they're sinning? No, I don't. Not at all. Not in no way whatsoever do I think they're committing sin. As long as, as, long as they're not sinning by neglecting themselves to meeting with believers. And you can do that in all, in all times in all places, being a part of a local church, being engaged in the ministry of the local church. What I'm more concerned with is not so much the day that you worship, but that you do worship. You stop, you think, and you set aside. I know it's very difficult in our day, but I tell you what, the day you spend dedicating to the Lord speaks volumes about who you serve. As a parent raising kids, I know it's very hard with all the athletics going on, all the parties going on, even to keep the Lord's Day separate, even to, even to have a time. But I wonder what we're teaching our kids about what the Lord's Day is. We go to church or do we try to just squeeze in church? Do you plan to worship or do you endure the time? Just Hey, we got to get to church, and after church, we're going to go do this, and then we're going to do that. And really, you're worshiping church and not really worshiping Jesus. Does that make sense? Plan it. Plan it. Is God important enough to you to plan it, to stop, to rest, to set it aside, and make it holy? 
I understand that parents may draw the line in many different places of priorities, but surely there are a few habits more important to pass on to our children, to our neighbors, to our friends that are rock solid. These habits that we set in our calendar for our life, for our own soul, are important. Is it important enough to do it every single week without exception? Would it be hard for our children, for our neighbors, for our friends, would it be hard for them to conclude that Jesus is our Lord and our master by looking at our schedule? Or would they be able to say, yeah, this person, I don't know their God, but this person worships very faithfully because they're committed to this. I wonder if that's the case. Does what we do and how we worship and how we organize and prioritize our life, does it say Jesus is Lord? Let me turn it around this way. From whom are you drawing your strength? From what are you getting your identity of who you are? Who are you serving and how? Jesus says it this way, this, this, this fourth command is an invitation of intimacy. Stop, remember, rest. I know you can make more if you work on certain days and you don't make time for me. However, if I don't get your time, the plumber will, the mechanic will, the roofer will, the doctor might. Stress is one of the biggest killers in our society. God knows how we're wired, and He says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The way to experience this is making Jesus the Lord and Master of your life. He sets the rhythm of your soul. He is the one that draws me into time with Him. And as I reciprocate and I set aside the time, then that time and that meaningful experience begins to change my whole perspective. Let me close by saying this. This commandment, when you and I respond to this invitation, we are able to obey the rest of the commandments. You know that? When I'm doing this, I don't have any problem with worshiping God. When I'm doing this, I don't want to bow down to anybody else. When I'm in a Sabbath rhythm, then I don't have to worry about my mouth, right? When I'm having this time with the Lord Jesus Christ, adultery doesn't have a grip in my life. Stealing, coveting, not obeying parents. When you do this, I wonder how many families would be completely restored if we just took time around the Lord. Maybe it just starts for you today. Maybe you need to give your life to Him now. Thank you again for listening to audio from Pastor Mac Roller at Columbus Baptist Church. For previous sermons and more information, please check out our website at gmbc.org.